Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production, where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, I'm Orlando Eastwood, director of On the Road, The Search for Bigfoot, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show. You are listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We got more Touristic U Chronicles for you today, or as I am rebooting this series, uh, to just be uh, Touristic U. So I'll just call it Touristic U from now on, uh, because you're going to be able to get uh this series uh, in its entirety off of two volumes so far Cal's fate is the first one that goes up to Mechior next ascension the story we're reading now and then Cal's uh quandary which is uh going on to the next uh four stories in in the in the uh in the thing all the way up to the never for been released Cal's father story yeah, so I'm done with that, and that will be released. So yeah, please, uh, if you are enjoying this, uh, check out Cal's Fate. You know, tell people you know about it. If they, if you know anyone that likes to read books, maybe uh, you know, send send them away to that book. And uh, yeah, uh, hope you enjoy the reading. So yeah, uh, on with Macior next ascension. Uh, at this point in the story, he stole the data drive from his dad so this is obviously a, a flashback to his past and that data drive uh he finds kind of a hacker uh you know woman to go ahead and uh hack his drive for him uh uh pun intended uh <laughs> and uh uh we'll uh go ahead and see how the rest of the story and then of course it's in the present timeline as well where he, you know, got stabbed by Cal and is uh, recovering from that. Those life hangs in the balance. So let's see how the story goes from here. I don't know if you can hear me, his father said. But I loved you, you know. Makiarnak wanted to die now more than ever. The Trillian metal couldn't work fast enough. I don't know if I showed it very much, the ancient voice of his father croaked in between respirations. But... 
You must know that everything I did, <clears throat> uh, I did for your benefit. When you went away to the IF Military Academy, it was the proudest and saddest day of my life. You proved to be your own man. I respected that even if I didn't show it at the time. He was a liar and a foolish old man. Rasmus hated the fact that Makiarnik joined the IF. Not only would his only son be sent out into the galaxy with a slew of alien races, but he would also be responsible for protecting them and safeguarding Santian life in the galaxy. As far as his father was concerned, humans were the only ones who deserved the galaxy. All other cultures and civilizations toppled under the might of humans. Aliens had to adapt to the human way of life or die. The IF's motto, to protect and serve all sentient life, should only say human life as far as his father was concerned. His progeny, the only being worth all his wealth and power, had joined the largest peacekeeping force in the galaxy. It was a slap in the face of his father and everything he stood for. Makiarna couldn't think of any better way to spite his dad. People in the IF didn't mince words, backstab each other, or swindle away their power. They respected each other with well-disciplined and ordered society. It was nothing like the business and politics of his father's world, and Makiarnik enjoyed every minute of it. The members of his squad meant more to him than his father ever did. It didn't matter that Rasmus had the largest fortune in the galaxy. He didn't want it. He didn't want to do his dad's job. He was good at his job. He was one of the youngest captains in the fleet. When he discovered his talent as an enforcer, his unit exceeded every other enforcer unit in the galaxy. The only criminal that ever got away on his watch was Sarge. That was until he met that woman. If there was one regret that Makiarnak had, is that he couldn't bring those two to justice. Despite his failures, his successes were so numerous and swift, it was no wonder they had picked him to test the new Enforcer prototype. It was a shame that he never had the chance to pilot the machine, because the technology was leaps and bounds beyond anything ever produced by Earth before. His impressive surfaces record would have only gotten better. I, I want to tell you about the ship, son. His dad's voice cut through his thoughts. He had been ignoring his father's rambling up to now as there was nothing his father could say that he wanted to hear. I, I wanted the ship to go to you. It was the proud of your achievements. I knew you were ascending to greatness, so I sold the Decrin Mining Corporation. I put all my assets into that damned vessel. It wasn't for the IEF or the UP. Those bleeding-heart alien lovers could be tossed into a black hole for all I care. Makiarnik couldn't believe what he was hearing. His father had sold the DMC? He loved that company more than he loved his son. I, I did it for you, his father continued. I sold everything for you. I created a military research company under your name. I knew I pressured you into the family business when you were young and you always wanted something different. I was heartbroken when you joined the IF, but I still kept up with your career. Then there was that incident. The riot at Fenpack. I knew you were based out of there. I realized how short life was and how I didn't know you. You were almost taken away from me and I couldn't hear the thought about it. The Negromoto mines were producing more than expected. It was perfect time to get out of the mining business. I wanted to show you that I cared. 
It was the only way I knew how. Now you're going to die. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Makiarnik could hear his father's voice break. During Makiarnik's entire life, he never had heard his father cry. When he was a child, there only seemed to be two emotions from his father, anger and rage. He spent most of his life fearing the man. Now here he was, blubbering like an idiot. It was also the first time he had ever gotten even the slightest inkling that his father cared about him. If Makiarnik could talk, he would have screamed at his father. A gift wouldn't make up for the years of indifference and disapproval. It didn't matter how great of a ship he had designed. His father could win back his love with a meaningless gesture. Sure, Makiarnik was excited about the ship, but his father had been an asshole his whole life. A prototype wouldn't change that. Makiarnik seethed in anger. He wanted nothing more than to choke his father. It would please him to take his father with him to the grave. Makiarnik spent the next few weeks reading up on eco-terrorism and all the left-wing crazy ideologies that he didn't give a crap about until he met a girl that was into him. The only reason he liked Cassie was that she was probably the opposite of his father as she could be. She thought Jupiter's depletion was the destruction of a historic landmark, and Rasmus thought it paved the way for a new decrant innovation. Makiarnik didn't care either way. Jupiter was in the history books. And while Cassie spent late nights worrying about some far-off planet she would never visit, Maggie Arnick only presumed to worry because he wanted to sleep with Cassie. He'd come over to her shop every night, ask about the drive, and they would verbally spar with each other. It wasn't until he made some oblique reference to some obscure social cause that a leftist nut like her would care about when she kissed him and couldn't stop kissing him. He took her on the counter of the junk shop. Vigo was out on an errand, or had the good sense to make himself scarce. Either way, Makiarnik thought that what he would he would be done with her. Like most of his conquest, he assumed that he would have to ignore her long enough for her to get the hint. He prepped himself for an onslaught of messages that would eventually turn into hate when she wouldn't respond. She didn't even make the slightest effort to contact him. It wasn't until a week later when he realized that he couldn't stop thinking about her. He thought about her in school, at home, when he was out with his friends, even when he was with other women. When he stopped by the shop to see her and see how the hard drive was doing, it was like he had never left. When they were together, they picked up where they left off, and when they weren't, she didn't smother him. It was a perfect casual relationship. Macchiarna couldn't believe he'd finally found someone who had gotten him. However, he never really got her. But they seemed to share a common enemy. It was his father. He hated his father because he was an asshole. She hated him because the DMC was bent on mining out every gas giant in the galaxy. Truth be told, Makiarnik didn't mind if his father mined out every last one of them. It wasn't if anyone could live on gas giants anyways. Sure, some of them exploded in the past, wiping out solar systems, but those glitches had been worked out. If his father was good for one thing, it was making sure the company followed all safety requirements. After all, accidents would eat into profits. Despite his father's ruling of safety protocol with an iron fist, Cassie still worried about Decrin mining and the impact it was causing on the galaxy. From her perspective, Decrin was an endless feedback loop that would just end up using every resource in the galaxy and lead to the decimation of all life. Solar systems were delicate things. If one galaxy giant was mined into oblivion, the orbits of every other planet would go out of alignment. 
Planets could smash into other planets, decay and fall into their parent star, or even just float away into space. In civilized system, orbital correction units could help maintain balance. However, they were expensive and needed Dekrin to keep running. Meanwhile, it wasn't men like Mechiarnok's father who were paying for it. The taxpayers were keeping their worlds afloat. A study Cassie cited much too often was a study about a planet in a mined-out system. It was a planet named AIG-231b, with life on it, but it wasn't inhabited by an intelligent race. The mining gas giants in the system had caused the orbit of AIG-213b to decay to a point where it was on a collision course with its sun in about 500,000 years. Since no one lived there, no one wanted to pay for orbital corrections. However, Cassie always said that just because there's no intelligent life now doesn't mean there would be in the future. Life evolves into intelligence. In fact, the DMC had just condemned a not-yet-born species to death before they even had a chance. Not to mention the loss of how much biodiversity. Macaronic didn't care about what happened to some far-off world 500,000 years in the future. By his estimation, planets with thriving biology died all the time from gamma-ray bursts, supernovas, and all sorts of interstellar phenomenon. There'd always be another planet ready to evolve new creatures. If life didn't evolve to intelligence to save itself, then maybe it wasn't worth saving. However, Machiarnik enjoyed sleeping with Cassie, so he pretended to care. Or at very least, he didn't voice his opinion about her beliefs. At first, he thought it was purely a physical connection. He'd burned through an entire Deccan fuel cell to reduce the travel time from London to New York in about, to about an hour. His dad didn't even care or question as long as he was doing well in school and he wasn't making headlines. The only reason his father cared about a school was the misguided belief that Mackie Arnick would get a business master's one day. Their relationship went smoothly for months. They spent almost every waking hours together. His father didn't even notice he was gone most nights. Mackie friends couldn't believe a woman had, could settle him down and they wanted to meet her. He didn't give a crap about his friends and enjoyed being with Cassie. It was until he made some offhanded remark about some species deserving their fate when their planet burned up in an environmental disaster from dirty power stations where they had their first argument. It wasn't even an argument that, but more of a stonewalling. She kicked him out of her shop and told him to go fuck himself. She wouldn't respond to any of the attempts to contact her, whether it was in person, via social media, or on the galactic network, or any of the myriad ways he tried to contact her. The deafening silence from her end it began to crawl under his skin all right so that is uh another part of mackie our next ascension come back next week and we will go ahead and read some more mackie our next ascension thank you so much for listening and uh yeah if you are pretending to care about someone else's belief system because you want to sleep with them well that's a bad guy thing. And, well, Mac Yarnick's a bad guy, right? Uh, <laughs> or is he more complicated than that? I don't know. That's what this story is about, right? Uh, <laughs> it's about the bad guy. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying it so far. Bye.